Will you stand with me as we hear a word from the Lord this morning? Our reading is going to be from Matthew chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel. Which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up. He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Will you pray with me? Our Father, uh, we come together this morning because your son has been born. Whatever place we come, Father, whether we confess belief In Jesus, our Messiah, whether we come questioning, we come because someone's asked us, someone's invited us, wherever we're at in our relationship with Jesus this morning, we come and we ask that that you offer us a word. If that word is to convict our hearts, then so be it. If that word is to affirm it, we're here, we're receptive, and we're ready to hear it. It's through your Spirit and the Son we pray. Amen. And you can be seated. My name is Brandon Moore, and I'm the spiritual formation pastor here at the church. And you might have noticed I am not Brooks, even though my microphone has a label on it that says Brooks. So it was very nice of him to loan it, and I also hope that he wasn't catching a cold last week, and I don't now get it from his... You know, when you have kids the age we do, three and one, everything you're worried about is the germs constantly, all of the time, right? So they hand me Brooks's microphone, and the first thing I can think about is, oh, I hope he didn't have something last week. I, I just want to say, as we... I'm in... Kim and my wife and I moved here about five months ago to join Southside, and what a blessing it has been to get to be a part of this family. I want to say this too, I spent about nine years preaching full-time, about 50 weeks a year in my last, uh, last place that I was at church, and I visited conferences all over the country, and I did all the preaching training and all the things, and I just, I want to say this affirmation on a day where he is not here because he will kill me if I say this. We are so abundantly blessed to hear Brooks preach from Sunday to Sunday. Amen. And I would just ask you to take time this Christmas season and let him know that you you think that about him. It is the lifeblood for a preacher so often. If, if the affirmation of God is to continue in ministry, so, so often is the affirmation of the church that supports us and builds it, uh, us up as we do that. So I would just encourage you to do that. One of the things that Brooks talked about last week, 
and his wonderful sermon on Mary is coal. And I brought a little coal this morning. Well, kind of. It's hard to come by coal. I tried Amazon. There are lots of imposters, but none of the real thing. So I was wandering around trying to figure out where I was going to get a big chunk of coal. And let me make sure I clarify, this is not uh, me trying to ask you to bring me coal. I'm, I really am, I'm okay. Uh, but finally I thought, well, I, maybe it's not real coal that's been in the ground for, you know, ever. But I, I do have coal, charcoal, that I have out in my garage. So I, I grabbed a piece of that, and it that, that should be nice and convenient um, because so often I get more in my stocking from year to year. Anybody else? And Brooks talked last week about how Mary receives this, what she thinks is a lump of coal out of nowhere. And I was thinking about this, like Santa. This idea of Santa sees me when I'm sleeping, knows me when I've been bad or good, you know, so I better be good. Why should I be good? For goodness sakes, which doesn't even really make sense. And, and, and there were so many, my mom's here this morning so she can affirm this, there were so many years of my life where I should have been on the naughty list, amen? And yet, in none of those years, even though he was watching, in none of those years did I receive coal in my stocking. I mean, I went through middle school and I still got presents on Christmas. And so I, I just trying to figure that out. Like, why is it I would never get coal in those years? It, it must be because Santa's just not paying attention. Which is good. When I'm doing bad things, I don't want him to pay attention, right? But I, I hope he was paying attention when I did all the good things that I did. Right? And it, it is so much. Whether we, whether, no matter how much of our life we spend studying, studying the Lord and coming to know the Lord and growing in intimacy with Him. I don't know about you, but I still wrestle with the God who we thinks is out to give coal or give blessings, presents. And I hope God so often is paying attention when I'm doing the good and then often I am hopeful that He's looking away when, when I deserve the coal. It's got to be odd to have God's eyes when I'm thinking that way and He's saying to me, You've, I've blessed you so abundantly time after time after time again and don't you know in the midst of all of it, in the midst of all the time, I see you. I notice you. I recognize you are there. And still, if we're honest, don't we feel like we get coal? You ever feel like you've received the lump of coal? I think if you'll turn with me in Matthew 1... Oh, I didn't hear a single Bible turn. Not a one. There wasn't even like a, a ripple of a page. Some of you are already there. You were prepped, right? All right. And if you didn't bring your Bible, that's all right. There's Bibles in the pews in front of you. Or get this, it's on your cell phone now. It's the craziest thing. You can Google, just Google it, Matthew 1. Put a space between Matthew and 1. All right. 
and, and pull it up. And I'll be in the NIV, but if you know me, we're going to pick apart the translation a little bit. But you're going to need to be in your word for two reasons. One is we're going to be there in there looking at the text. And number two, I have told those guys specifically, do not put that text back up in the screen. I want people to see this in their Bibles and on their phones. All right? So in Matthew chapter 1, there's this story about Joseph. Joseph. You know, Joseph is one of those guys that I don't think anybody notices. Ever thought, we were pulling out the nativity scene this week, and I got out, you know, we got out like baby Jesus laying in the manger. You guys have these at home? Right? And, and then you pull out Mary. She's kind of bowed over him, kneeling, or she's beautiful. And then you recognize the sheep, okay? And then you recognize maybe a donkey. And then you pull out four shepherds. And you're like, now one of these is Joseph. Which one is it? Well, this one looks a little more holy than all the other ones. It's got to be him. Right? And I was doing research. Brooks was like, I'm going to cover Mary. I want you to cover Joseph. I was like, sounds great, Brooks. That should be easy. So I do a little research. I look up in my Bible dictionary, Joseph. There's a lot of Josephs in Scripture. But this Joseph is known as Joseph, comma, husband of Mary. Now, most of my life, I've been spent Brandon, comma, husband of Kim, really, son of Mark, right? But here's Joseph that plays this huge, important role in Scripture. And yet, when we pull out the nativity scene, we can't even tell which one he is. Matthew notices Joseph. Actually, if you follow Luke the birth narrative, it traces Mary all the way through. Remember, Mary gets the vision from the angel. Then Mary goes to her cousin's house. Right? It follows Mary. But Matthew follows Joseph. In verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. It's an interesting thing. Matthew wants to pull out to his predominantly Jewish audience, Joseph. He's going to establish Jesus in the genealogy and the lineage of Joseph. And he's going to do one more thing that the modern reader misses out on all the time, I think, because I know this is the first time I've ever noticed this as I was reading through Matthew, is Matthew actually wants to not only establish Joseph as the leading voice in this portion of the narrative, but he also is establishing Joseph as a type in the line of Abraham. Let me give you just a few. This is, I'm going to really Bible dork out on you for a minute. All right. And some of you are going to love this and the rest of you can just pay attention and follow along enough to kind of soak it in if you want to. But look at these six connections that we have. There's many more, but I just pulled six. Number one, if you notice the genealogy that Matthew provides in verse two, one chapter one, verse two starts with who? Abraham. Okay. Not all the genealogies start that way. And then number two, you get this, this similar language that takes place. Both of them receive the word from an angel. They receive word. Both Abraham receives the, the promise of the blessing of his child through this vision, this vision experience with an angel, and so does Joseph here. Number three, they're both told what most 
most people are told when an angel appears to them, which is do not fear. Do not be afraid. Then number four, both of them will receive sons through quote-unquote barren women, women who shouldn't be able to have children. In Abraham's case, his wife is long past the age of being able to bear a child. And in this case, Mary obviously shouldn't be able to bear a child yet. All right, and then number five, they are both described. This is where the NIV does this injustice, I think, here. Look in verse 18. Verse 19, sorry, it says, Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. Does your translation have anything different? Does it say righteous? Because Joseph was righteous. The word here is dikaios, okay? And it literally means to be righteous, to be someone who upheld the law, sure. But it's a status of being. Why this is important. You might remember, if you know the story of Abraham, that Abraham believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Both Joseph is a righteous man and Abraham is a righteous man. But then this for me, this final thing, this is the kicker, the connecting point where I was like, oh, I see what Matthew is doing here. The final thing is both receive the same exact announcement. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament that Matthew would have been very familiar with and read all of his life, in Genesis 17, 19... The angel of the Lord says to Abraham, she, she, being his wife here, shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. And then nearly verbatim, there's only two things that are changed. Nearly verbatim, the angel will say to Joseph, she shall bear you a son and you shall call his name. I know you want to say Jesus. But the, the link is even closer with Isaac. It's Haizun. Okay, it's this tight connection linguistically. And you're hearing it in the exact same sound. And I think the readers of Matthew, as they're hearing Matthew tell the story, the great gospel of Jesus, as they're hearing it, when they hear this line, they think, why? Because they know their Old Testaments. They know Abraham. They know Abraham. And they hear that line and they think, Joseph is Abraham. Joseph is Abraham. Why is this important? What's, what does it matter? It was just kind of a cool, nerdy, Bible nerdy kind of thing. No. Matthew's saying something very important. Do you remember what the promise is that's given to Abraham? It's not just that he will give birth to a child, that she will bear you a son, and that you will give him. It's that every nation in the world will be blessed through that son. What about Joseph? Do you see it? Joseph, she's going to bear a son. And through that son, the promise that was given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the promise that will be fulfilled now. Every nation of the world will be blessed through your son. You think Abraham, or you think Joseph saw that coming? I don't know. You think that's the life that Joseph chose? 
No, here's Joseph. He's a righteous, he's a good-hearted, good man. He acts like a good man throughout this passage. And here he is, a young man, setting out on his life, on his way, right? And he has this beautiful wife that he is engaged to in the in the ancient times jewish practices engagement didn't mean uh, you know will you marry me you know yes i will and someday later we'll finalize it they're in the middle he's already offered money on her behalf to her father he's already bought in and they are just waiting for the final consummation of their marriage right and then it will be totally finalized they belong to each other and all of a sudden all of a sudden try try for just a second to put yourself in Joseph's seat, to live this text through him for just a second, all of a sudden, she shows up pregnant. What do you do? What? This isn't how it was supposed to go. This isn't how it was supposed to go. This wasn't the life I chose. The life I wanted to lead. And notice, even, even as Joseph receives this word, it comes with a slight nuance. And it's a nuance for fathers in here that I think we will pick up on. When God says to Abraham, she will bear who? You, a son, soy in the Greek. But in Matthew one twenty three, it says what? She will bear a son. A son who you will raise, though he will not be yours. A son who you will call son and who he will call someone else routinely father. A son that will bring you shame in your community. A son that will bring you disgrace in your community. Does that feel like a lump of coal or what? Not only that, but very shortly, they're going to set out to kill the son that's not yours. And you are going to have to flee from the life and the home and the town that you've known and move to a distant land because of this son. I wonder if he ever wanted to leave. I've been thinking about this so much. I wonder if he ever wanted to leave. See, see Mary gets this coal. She gets this lump of coal. And, and it's, it's this news, right? And, and Brooks talked last week about God is going to take that lump of coal and he's going to form it into a diamond. And you have this beautiful, amazing, you have this scene where Mary, late in life, watches her son, her son that she bore, her son take on the sin of the world and be crucified. And the, the brutality of that, I can't even imagine. But then, within three days, she gets the diamond. What's the diamond? The song we just sang. It's the resurrection. She sees her son alive again and all the crazy things that have determined her life leading up to that point are validated as truth she gets the diamond where is joseph in the crucifixion narrative he never sees it he's not there most scholars think he passes away sometime 
around the point that Jesus reaches manhood. He's going to raise this son. He's going to get this lump of coal, right? Is, and, and I just kind of wonder, like, and maybe it's just me and our culture, but like, is this the life that Joseph wanted? I don't know where you're at this morning, but I would bet there's a few of us in this room that are asking the same question. Is this the life that I wanted? Am I living the life that I chose? Or maybe, I hope not, but maybe you've already put in your mind a, 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 I'll just call it a lie because it is a lie that you're telling yourself. Which is that this is unfair. I did not choose this life I've been given. We're sure an ungrateful lot, aren't we? We think somehow that life belongs to us, that somehow we're entitled to certain things. Christine Pohl, in her book, her wonderful book that I'm reading right now, says, says, has this quote where she says, despite the emphasis on gratitude in the biblical text, Christian tradition and other great traditions. Today, it is often countercultural to take the posture of a grateful recipient. Some of us operate with a well developed sense of entitlement, quite certain that we deserve good things and are entitled to the best that life has to offer. Others of us, because we work hard, are convinced that we have earned the good that has come to us. Gratitude seems quite irrelevant. Your life is a gift from God. Every breath that you have taken is a gift lavishly given from God. You might think that you have received coal. And you might in your lifetime never see that coal turned into diamonds. But I want to tell you something this morning. Coal is incredibly useful. Do you know that? It, it creates electricity and powers automobiles and makes steel. And despite what some crazy people might tell you, it makes the best barbecue. <laughs> coal we think and maybe you're looking at your life right now and you're like I thought it was going to be full of all these diamonds it was going to be full of all this gold maybe it's going to be full of all these wealth all these abundant relationships I said yes I said I do and I thought we would live happily ever after and I feel like now I'm in a place of coal or I never thought that person I'd have to deal with that or go through that but but this coal God is using it's it's the common thing that I say all the time and people never like it when I say it and I never like to hear myself say it but God is always more concerned about your personal character than your personal happiness and God gives coal to form us I want to tell you as I end this morning the story of two men I had a different ending for this sermon but this week some things have happened in my life and I just want to share them 
This is a story of two men that I love dearly named Tom Keith and Randy Yeager. I talked about my ministry in the last church. These were two men that were from the very first day before we even moved to Montana where we were ministering at. These men I had met and I, I loved. And I want to talk about first about my friend Tom Keith, okay, who has the most kind smile you will ever see. He uh, loves from the depth of his heart. And I don't know if you've ever met somebody like this, but he's one of those guys when you are talking to him, he is only singularly focused on listening to you. Don't you love those people? Want to be those people? He, he ran sound and tech at the church for years and years and years. Never needed applause. Never needed adoration. Just did it because he loved to bless people and to be in people's lives. And my other friend is Randy Yeager, who's a, like a dad to me in many ways. Helped me transition through all, if you ask him and I, some of the most, the most difficult times in our life, Randy was right there beside us. He was a shepherd and elder at the church that we came from. And here he dearly, dearly loved us. And he was a man of the word who taught, who teaches class still all the time. I think he's preaching right now, actually, at the old church about the same time, okay? And he's just, but they're, they're, why I want to bring these two together is their paths crossed about 14 years ago. When Tom, Keith, was, was dating a woman, they had both come from brutal marriages and, and rough divorces, and he was dating a woman who was friends with Randy and went to church with him. And Randy said, if you're going to date my friend, I would like you to at least hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And they began to study through the Word together. And after months of studying together, Tom said, I believe this all to be true. And I want to be baptized. And Randy baptized him into the name of Jesus. And then Randy and Tom became, in many sense, inseparable. And I remember one point, like seven or eight years later, when I come into the story, and I'm like, Randy, man, you give Tom so much attention, but he's really matured as a disciple, you know, and I'd love to see you. I'm, I'm doing this, like, pastoral thing like I'm I hey wise man that's three times the age as me let me let me give you my advice on what you should be doing with your life right and I said I'd really like to see you move on to some people that don't know Christ yet and do some studies with them and and he looked at me and he said I was involved in church growth stuff in the 90s he said when we would baptize as many people as would walk out our door the next week he said, I've seen people one after another being baptized. He said, I've done it myself. Bring them to Christ. And then within a few months or a year, they have wandered off. He said, I will not leave Tom. Will not leave him. And last year at about this time, Tom, who's in his mid-50s, was diagnosed with cancer. And it shocked all of us. He just had some back pain and went for some scans and he had cancer everywhere. I mean, everywhere. All down his spinal cord, all over his internal organs. And they gave him a few months and they did some treatments. And he fought hard, but after a while, he didn't even have the strength or energy to fight anymore. And on Wednesday, Randy texted me and said, hi B, that's my nickname for him, I wanted to let you know that our brother Tom Keith left us this morning at 6.25 a.m. 
he had a life, uh, sorry, he, he left from home with Karen, his wife, Olivia, his daughter, his parents, and Donna, and I seen him off. He had a life full of people that loved him and now is enjoying love and beauty beyond compare. I know you wanted to know so you could pray for comfort for us all. Love and miss you, son. I said this back to him. You led faithfully a man from birth in Christ to death in Christ. And though his resurrection in Christ will not be your doing. It will be to your joy and to your credit. God is honored by your friendship and commitment to Tom. He said, He is the crown I cast before the throne of our King. There is great comfort in that. Maybe Joseph did see the resurrection. Maybe the two fathers stood beside each other when that resurrection took place. I don't know. I've got no biblical background. I've got no, nothing to support that, but I just wonder. Joseph, Joseph committed his life to the raising of Jesus. And through him, all nations of the earth were blessed. Church, we are so confused in our culture about this. There is no great, grand, grandiose, magnificent, enormous thing that God is giving you personally in your life. But He is very much calling all of us to the faithful commitment of the life He has graciously given us. Who do you have in your life, in your life, that you will say at the end of their life or the end of your life, I committed my journey to that person? The preacher and scholar Thomas Long says that Jesus was a holy disruption for Joseph. That's what God does in our perfect, well-built lives. He gives us a holy disruption. And, the, and, and, and it is a birthing of the Holy Spirit. And that holy disruption will always be a person. It will always, always in the narrative of God, be a person in your life. Who is the holy disruption in your life? Who is the person that you are going to cling to? You are going to say, they are mine, and until my last breath on this earth, I am going to cling them to the cross of Jesus Christ, and I will join them in the resurrection. We need no no more show. No more coming to church saying, feed me, give me. What we need are people faithfully committed to the cross of Christ and faithfully committed to one another. That, that God uses to bless all nations of the earth. Will you stand with me as we close in prayer this morning?
Our Father, we come before you, and I, I first, I'm just so honored, so honored. Now, you are so honored by those in this room who have that commitment, who have faithfully committed their lives to others. Father, we know there are people out there right now that are lost and are broken. We know that there are people right now, this week, we've encountered that have tapped on our door, and they haven't said it like this, but they've said, man, I, I want Jesus. I need something more in my life. I need something real. And we don't have time for that holy disruption. And Father, if that's been who we are, you convict our hearts this morning. Father, we ask that you reveal, you make known, you show up if you need to like the angel did before Joseph, but you show up in our lives and, sh- and say, this is who I'm giving you. This is the birth I'm giving of the Holy Spirit. This is the person I want you to engage the rest of your walk with, your journey with. It's through the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in the name of your Son that we come and we beg this of you. Amen.